The Influencer's Edge is brought to you by the Invisible Influence Series. If you're ready to massively increase your sales by leveraging the power of subconscious persuasion, then make sure you text the word COMPEL to 411-321. That's COMPEL to 411-321. And if you're outside of the United States, then use WhatsApp and text the word COMPEL to 1-909-741-1321. Make sure you put in your best email address because that's how we'll deliver the goodies. Welcome to the Influencer's Edge. This is the place where you come to get the latest breakthroughs, cutting edge insights, tools, and techniques to leapfrog over the pack in sales, persuasion, and influence. Be sure you visit our website at www.theinfluencersedge.com. And while you're there, Subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now sit back, tune in, and enjoy today's episode. Oh, we've got a good one today on the Influencer's Edge. We have a spy or an ex-spy. And you know my fascination with anything that has to do with the intelligence community and covert stuff and secret hidden stuff. So I want everyone to welcome our CIA ex-spy. Is the word spook, uh, 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 is that appropriate or do people not use that word? Yeah, we still use it. (laughs) Okay. So Martha Wilson is with us here today. I'm fascinated because you were with the CIA for 27 years. We'll get to the rest of your biography. I promise. How in the world did you get recruited by the agency? Let's start with that. Oh my goodness. I, I'm not I'm not quite sure who recruited who there. So I started out active duty army and I in happened. Service. Yeah. Service. Were you a tank commander? Or... <laughs> I was in military intelligence, which I guess kind of makes sense, right? Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was I was active duty army and was on an extended TDY. Uh, temporary duty, extended temporary duty for people who don't speak military. And uh, part of my job at that time was to go to the country team meetings at the embassy in the capital. And part of my job was to sit down and have meetings with the CIA representatives there. And I would go in, you know, being the, being the good little soldier that I was, I would go in with my list of questions that I was, I was there for, and I would sit down and we'd be asking the questions. And, you know, the more I talked to them, the more fascinated I became. And so at one point, my questions were, were, you know, finish the things that I had on the list. And then the question turned into, tell me about your job. And then a couple of meetings later, the question turned into, how did you get your job? And then a couple of meetings later, the question turned into, how can I get your job? (laughs) (laughs) Very, Very nice progression. Did you have that? plotted out in your mind or did it just arise spontaneously because I can see I can see you know how you know how to be a plotter whether that was or not I don't know 
You know, and that's a great point. I think it's something that is inherently wired into me in that moment. No, I didn't recognize that I was doing it deliberately, but it is, it's funny that you, that you bring that up because, you know, they, they would, they told me a little bit about it. That temporary assignment was over. I go back to my permanent assignment and about a year later, I had decided, you know, Army's been great, and this is not what I want to do with the rest of my life. So where do I go from here? And the whole CIA thing had still been in the back of my mind. And I'm like, but I don't even know how you would go about doing this. So anyhow, I, I again, I just tuck it in the back of my mind, go to a job fair. They're there. We <laughs> sit down and have a conversation. And... Were yeah. they wearing dark sunglasses like men in black and black suits? And <laughs> They were navy blue suits. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and the quintessential blue and yellow striped tie. What the okay. heck is it about the blue and yellow tie for gentlemen? I don't know, but it's like a CIA <laughs> thing, apparently. <laughs> okay. All right. And you do know where the alien bodies are. We'll get to that later. <laughs> All right. So let's... Um, Let's read your actual full biography. So after 27 years undercover mm, with the CIA, Martha Wilson is an expert. Ooh, my phone is a little wet. Is an expert. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, dear, dear, dear. Um, we're going to have to pause a minute. Tracy, pause. <laughs> All right. So we're going to read your actual bio that you've submitted as best I can. So after 27 years undercover with the CIA, Martha Wilson is an expert on what makes people tick. Her life and the lives of her assets hmm, depended on her ability to accurately predict how someone would react in a particular situation and draw out of them the specific internal qualities they would need to successfully execute the mission. I can see how this translates over into business. She now uses those same skills to help entrepreneurs and leaders navigate the pressures of increasing their impact without losing their freedom. Unlike most success coaches, and this is a great distinction, Martha does not teach her clients to break the internal patterns of thought and feeling that lead to frustrating patterns in business and life. That approach is really hard, and I agree with you, ultimately doesn't work at all. Rather, she shows them how to reverse engineer that hidden programming. I love that word, reverse engineer, and use it to their advantage so they can make the bigger differences they're here to make and enjoy life. You have a master's degree in international relations, has served in permanent assignments in six countries with temporary assignments in 26 others, formerly served as the only Arabic speaker on a covert team in West, the Western Desert of Iraq. Oh, Habibi. Habibi. <laughs> <laughs> She's now living her dream on the water in Florida Keys with her husband and her one slightly spoiled cat. I have two slightly spoiled cats. All <laughs> right. Well, I you have so much going on here. I, I scarcely know where to start, but let's just dive in with some questions. So how do you go, you were, you worked for the CIA and suddenly after retiring, you make the transition to being a business coach. 
So what was your process in your head of transferring those skills over? Did you immediately see, oh, wait, I can transfer it over and then you quit because you saw the opportunity? Or did you quit and, or retire rather and then spend some time thinking, what do I do next? And then you saw the correlation. You know, I would love to say it was it was as nice and neat and tidy as what you just described. Um, but the truth is, it wasn't that at all. And it was the natural evolution and fallout of a day when I found myself sitting at my desk in Southeast Asia with my head in my hands thinking, I can't do this anymore. I had just gotten off the phone with my boss where she had proceeded to rip me a new one yet again about everything that my team was and was not doing that wasn't getting her the results that she wanted. Her answer to the situation was, Martha, just work harder. Oh, wow. But, but in that moment, I didn't have any harder left to work. I was already stretched thin, burned out, absolutely heartbroken because here I was, I had what I thought was the coolest job in the world, and it was, and I felt like a colossal failure. Wow. I bet you that's, uh, you can, I think that experience for you helped you translate into what you're doing with your clients today because you can identify with where they're at. It's not like you came from a area where you were always successful and retired happy, you can empathize and see what the problems are around the, along the way. So how did you work yourself out of the state of being unhappy and burned out? Well, you know, it, it started, and yeah, there was, there was an ugly cry as I sat there with my head in my hands, but the change happened the moment I lifted my head and I looked around the office and I just had this epiphany that the first thought that went through my head is there is nobody who gives a rat's behind whether or not, I edited that, thank you very much, gives a rat's behind. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you can say rat's ass, we don't care. <laughs> that cared whether or not I was happy in what I was doing. And the second thought that followed that was, holy cow, there's no, if nobody cares whether or not I'm happy, then nobody cares if I choose to do something about it. Wow. Wow. And that was the moment I heard the words of an old army captain ringing through my head when he said, Lieutenant, when in charge, take charge. And that was the moment that I realized it was time for me to take charge, not of my team or my time or my targets or any of those things outside of me. But it was time for me to take charge of me. In my my entire career with CIA was as a case officer was about pause just a minute and say what a case officer is. The distinction between someone who does wet work, goes out there and 
kills people? What is a case officer? <laughs> okay, so a case officer, and, and actually this is a, a great time to take one step back and just say that in spite of everything that you see in Hollywood, that CIA is not all about guns and badassery. CIA is 100% based on human behavior. And a case officer's job, somebody like me, my job was to go out to and spot, assess, develop, recruit, and handle foreign individuals with access to non-public information of use, uh, use to U.S. policymakers. Can you tell I practiced that speech a hundred thousand times? Oh, no, I got it. I have other <laughs> friends who work for different eight, three-letter agencies, and they have told me this, but I wanted you to unpack it for the audience. Yeah. And so what that meant, you know, at the end of the day, what it means is I'm not, or I wasn't the person who sat behind the desk reading the reports and analyzing the information. I was the person who spent a whole lot of time standing on street corners in the bad part of town, getting in cars with people I didn't know. Holy shit. Now, <laughs> did you, I've got to ask because, okay, did they ever put you out there as a honey trap? And can you explain to people what that term means? Um, so a honey trap, it's actually not a tactic that we use in the CIA as often as a lot of our counterparts in other countries use. Okay. But essentially a honey, a honey trap is, and it, and it can be male or female, depending on the target that you're looking for. Um, but you place a very attractive individual. And again, you can define attractive, however, is right. I mean, it can be physically attractive. It can be attractive in other ways, as in somebody that has a lot of money or somebody that has uh, high-powered connections. And it's intended to draw in the target, much like, well, bees to honey, hence the name. And while I was never positioned as a honey trap, per se, I will absolutely tell you that in clandestine meetings with my assets, it was not at all unusual for our cover story of this meeting, should we ever be caught, to be, I mean, come on. This is this is what it's about. What is, if you see, and boys and girls, this podcast will self destruct in five <laughs> <laughs> right. For you younger people, that's a that no, you've all seen Tom Cruise in the Mission Impossible. Uh, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> no, I, so I was just going to say. I mean, it because again, it's all about human behavior. If you see. Two people, especially if you happen to see a man and a woman together, especially if you happen to see a man and a woman together and there might be a significant difference in age between the two of them, what is the first thought that goes through your mind that those two people are doing together? I train them to be charming gentlemen who naturally attract younger women. <laughs> see? <laughs> but again, when you're talking about a cover story. Yeah, I get it. It's the thing that has people not ask questions. I get it. So, so I want to I want to move on to a question that's that is not one of the ones you suggested, but I, I'm going to mm -hmm. get to it. So you had to learn how to spot an asset, 
and how to convert that asset into a potential asset and how to convert that asset into someone who would be of service to your cause. Mm -hmm. Correct? Right. Basically. So are those skill sets that you teach your, your clients, the people who you coach and train to spot their ideal customer, to communicate with their customer in a way where they will be a be acquired and recruited, so to speak. I'm trying to draw the, the corollary between recruitment of an asset and selling to a client. Do you understand what I'm saying? I do. I do. And, you know, I, I love that you went there. And the truth is that's actually the downstream benefit of the work that I do with my clients. But the, the place that I start goes back to the very core of my work with CIA, which was the number one most important thing that I ever did every single day was to get to know somebody and uncover, and I'm getting ready to use a word that's gonna sound really volatile, so I'm gonna ask everybody to, to brace yourselves here. My job was to uncover their vulnerabilities. Great. We love it here. But here's the thing. That vulnerability is the source of their deepest fear, pain, or desire. And I want you to listen very carefully. My job is not to uncover their pain, fear, or desire. My job was to uncover the source of it. Ah, got it. And that goes to your something that you do that's unique is that looking at people, I, I want to phrase this in, in the right way. So, one of the distinctions you make is the difference between uh, mindset or limiting, limiting beliefs and hidden programming. So it sort of ties into it. So can you help us understand that distinction? Because many would say they're the same thing, that they're completely conflated together. What's the distinction that you make and how does that serve your, your clientele? Yeah. And, and you're right. It is, in fact, directly related to that source of their, their biggest peer, fear, pain, or desire. And here's the thing. A limiting belief is something that lives in your head. It is, it is a thought, it is an idea. It's something that lives in your head. If you can slow your own train down long enough, you can probably hear it. Hidden programming is different. Hidden programming lives in your whole body. Hidden programming is the part of you that will slam on the brakes and jerk the steering wheel in the split second before your mind has the thought that SOB just cut in front of me. So you're talking about a different part of the brain, the amygdala or what? Right, right, right. It's a different part of the brain. It is a deep seated part of the brain. And it is, it is very literally your invisible unquestioned truth of who you are, who they are and what the world is. And it drives every decision you again. make. Who you are, you are, they are, and who the and what the world, and what the world is. is. Wow. So you're dealing not only with identity, but with 
what other people's identity is and then existentially or uh in, what's the word in philosophy i'm i'm blanking out who what the world is that's like a big question mm -hmm. and it's not it's not the programming itself that's the problem it's the fact that that programming's hidden that programming is it, programming is hidden from you that's the problem so if it's hidden what's the procedure of looking at it without getting sucked back into it because i've found one of the rules of the mind is the more you stare at something the more you program it back in and nietzsche said don't gaze gaze not into the abyss for the abyss gazes back into you mm -hmm. So what is the procedure? Because this is worth a million bucks. We want to know. And I also love that your ideas are contrarian because here on this podcast, we want to interview people who have a different kind of message who would go contrary to traditional and conventional wisdom. So I love this. Spit it out. So, <laughs> so essentially what I do when I, when I work with my clients is I, I create a process or an experience for you and what it's designed to do is get around that very beautiful logical conscious mind of yours and have us see have your subconscious show us what's really running in the background okay is this a technique involving something like meditation or hypnosis or it's uh, well let's see it is not hypnosis and it's not meditation the best way i can describe it is I just give you a visualization because as you describe to me what you experience in that visualization you you will show me literally you will show me the source of your greatest fear pain or desire then I get an opportunity to, and I get an opportunity to show you how we walked that path. Because again, remember, the problem is not that the programming is there. The problem is that it is hidden. Remember, we're talking about invisible, unquestioned truth of who you are, who they are, and what the world is. As soon as it becomes visible, it's no longer hidden programming. As soon as it's visible to you, now you have your power back. Okay, so my, a little bit of pushback, because I like to interrupt a little bit of pushback. This requires a tremendous amount of courage. This is something that you would do. I, I don't wanna say you're a therapist, and it's not therapy per se, but it takes a lot of courage for someone to have that willingness to say, all right, I'm willing to, to look. And oftentimes they're not going to do it until they're backed into a corner. So how do you assist your clients, your students, however you refer to them, in finding the courage to have that look? Because a lot of people, even if you have the technique, are not going to use it because they're scared shitless to, to have that look. They're afraid of what they're going to see. Yeah. I was too. I was too. Two things. First of all, if your dream is big enough, you'll go for it. That's the first thing. It has to be worth it to you. 
it's got to be worth it. That's that's the main reason that people don't go for their goals. They run out of steam before they get there. It's not that they're afraid to fail. It's that very literally it is not worth it to fail. There is something in the system that's saying it is not worth it for me to go there. It is not worth it for me to run the risk of getting it wrong. Or could when, it be, I'm not worth it. I'm not worth it. That's usually the part that's hidden underneath. Yeah. Yeah. And there was there was another piece I was getting ready to share. <laughs> and I, I hate it when the brain cell that dies is the one I was using at the time. No, I just, I'm sorry. I disrupted you. We were talking about the corollary. <laughs> Between what you, oh, we're talking about. Oh, courage, courage, the courage to go there. Here's the other thing. Here's the, here's the second piece. So the first piece, your dream's got to be big enough. Your why's got to be big enough. It's got to be worth it to go there. Here's the second piece. And I, I, I learned this from my days in, in the live entertainment business that I spent. I spent one year as the first uh, chief security officer for an $8 billion live entertainment company. And we used to have the phrase, the bigger the front, the bigger the back. And here's the case with this. That thing within yourself that you are most afraid to look at very literally is your greatest strength. Whoa. How can that be so? I I I, I don't get that. Unpack that. We're now diving into epistemology mm -hmm. and philosophy and mm -hmm. therapy. And this is really cool. This is my jam. I eat this for lunch. <laughs> so here's the thing. Those automatic patterns, actually, I'm going to take a step back. And I'm going to tell you a spy story. Is it okay if I tell you a spy story? Fuck yeah. <laughs> we <heard laughs> <the show. laughs> okay. So your first 90 days on the ground in any new city is all about what does normal look like here? How do things move here? Have you ever noticed that you go to some cities and traffic never stops? It's always moving. It's yeah. always moving. There's never a parked car. They're always moving. You yeah. go to other cities and eight o'clock at night, the streets are completely empty. You'll go to other cities and there's a mix of people standing and moving and standing and moving. You'll go to some cities and the cars very neatly follow the pretty little lines on the road and you'll have the stoplights and they very obediently stop for the red That's and go standing. for the green. That's <laughs> <standing>. <laughs> right. Yep. And then you'll go to other cities and yeah, the lines on the road and the traffic signals, those are just for decoration. So here's the thing, when you're conducting a clandestine act, the last thing you want to do is stand out, right? Right. You absolutely want to blend in. And if you're in the middle of a clandestine act and something goes seriously off the rails, it is your ability to literally fall back into that pattern that will save your life and it will save the life of your asset. That's cool. 
But here's the best part. Once you see that pattern, once you start to understand how it works, now you can use it. You can bend it. You can use all of those patterns to create the actual opportunity that you need to conduct your clandestine act. We even have a word for it. It's called a gap act. You can use that pattern to create the gap that you need to conduct that act. I get it. Here's the same thing with us. Your hidden programming has created these automatic patterns of thought, belief, and behavior. Patterns are your friend. For one thing, they're reliable. They work the same way every time. And they save you the energy and the time of having to figure something out every time it's presented. It's precisely. The word. Yeah, precisely. They require no maintenance. They're already there. When the stakes are high and the chips are down, that's what's going to run. And here's why. Because over the course of your life, you practice, practice these patterns in all kinds of situations. The ones that most often got you the results you wanted, those you practiced again. They became your default patterns. That's when they became invisible. Makes sense. They were, they were designed to keep you safe. And because you have practiced them in all kinds of situations again and again and again, they have very literally become your greatest strength. I get it. I get it. Which is why as soon as you see that pattern and now you know how to use it, to create the opportunity that you need, that's where everything gets easy. It's, it's no more pushing against yourself, no more trying to interrupt a pattern, no more trying to tell yourself, oh, don't do this, don't think that, don't be this. No, you just get to be all of who you are. And what I love about this, Martha, is it's not archeology. span You're not diving back into what happened to you and how it got stuck in there, what mommy and daddy did, or how you were never wanted to get, no one wanted to date you in college, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. So it's skipping through, <laughs> not that that was me, but skipping through all of that. So let's talk about application to your, to your who are the kind of people you work with? Give us a, a 30,000 foot view of the type of clientele you work with. Who comes yeah. So people come to me when that stress of that thing that they're doing for a living is, is starting to bleed over into the rest of their lives. And they're, the problem they're running into is they're kind of caught in this double bind. They want to make a bigger difference. They want to have a bigger impact. They want to get, they want to receive more for themselves too. And because they've already got so much on their plate, they can't figure out how to create that opening for themselves. So these are the people I, I like to say they started out building the castle. And somewhere along the lines, it started to feel a whole lot more like a dungeon. Oh, I love you. You, you throw out some good metaphors, lady. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what I know is if you don't 
take care of that dungeon, it will become your crypt. The place where all oh, dreams and that, souls go to die. That just went in here. <laughs> Metaphors are so powerful. Wow. Your sandcastle becomes your dungeon. And if you don't get out of your dungeon, it will become your crypt. That is really turning up the pain. <laughs> do you say that with when you do an interview with a client? And, and also, I want to know something. Hmm. Uh, all right. We'll put a pin on my second question. So I'm going to pin it over here. <laughs> do you say that to your, do you use that metaphor with your potential clients to give them the swift kick in the ass or the psyche that they, they need? You know, I have to confess, I do. I do because we don't have time to waste anymore. None of us do. No, I agree. You know, we we've we've worked so hard, and the mistake I mistake I made, and and so many of my clients make too. We think that making a bigger difference and making a bigger impact and going for that bigger dream. We think it's all about sucking it up, muscling through and slicing and dicing your calendar and your bank account into ever smaller pieces and, you know, contorting yourself to fit somebody else's mold. And that doesn't work. No, it's never worked for me. And I find that times when I've tried to force myself to do it, it just results in a lot of self-flagellation and despair and trying to squeeze myself into a mold that, that, that won't fit. And the worst part is when you're doing all of that, the absolute brilliance and genius that's truly inside of you doesn't get to come out. Yeah. Wow. Let me you kind of put my brain on freeze. Let's dive into some other questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait a minute. I have my I have my own. Okay. Inside of hidden beliefs, I found like because I do work with people, sometimes inside of that that limiting belief is a kernel of truth which keeps it stuck to you. For example, if I, I if I have the belief that I am just not good at doing Facebook ads and I'm never going to learn to be good at it, there's a uh, I could say, well, that's a limitation. You're telling yourself and you need to go for things and face your fears. Or it could just mean I'm shit at Facebook ads. Go hire somebody else. So what would you, I'm going to push back a little bit and say, aren't limiting beliefs hidden or not? hidden or obvious, don't some of them have a kernel of truth that would be useful to extract out? 100%. You'd never ask a fish to climb a tree. All right. So what's your, without giving away your thoughts, <laughs> I'm assuming that's something you also help your clients to see. Yeah. And, and here's the thing, you know, once you start to see the way your hidden programming works, what it will also, as your hidden programming and those patterns associated with them come together, they create what I call a hidden power. It is a gift, quality. Sometimes it's a talent or a skill. Sometimes it's just a, a, a essence or a presence of being that is unique to you. Nobody else has it. 
it usually has its roots someplace that you don't really want to look. So a lot of the work that I do with my clients is getting them to come face to face with the gift and their hidden power. And once you do that, it, it's it's like it's kind of like that box that you stuck in the garage that you buried back in there. I'm not going to look at that. I might need that someday. I'm not going to get rid of it. But I don't know. I, I don't. So what I do is I help you bring that box out. We unpack that box. Aunt Gretel's old sweater with the holes in it. Yeah, we finally throw that away. We finally get rid of the rotten, nasty socks. But, oh, down in the bottom there is the jewelry box. You're, you're in a sense, being their case manager. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. I mean, my, my whole job, my whole purpose is to show you the brilliance of you and have you embody that. Because as soon as you do that and, and you know the path that you walked to get there, that is the thing that allows you, number one, to show up and make the difference that you're here to make, to hold the presence with your team and your clients and your, your bosses and your vendors, to make the ask, even make the demand that says, I see the greatness in you. I see the magnificence in you. And the only way you can do that if you've, is if you've seen it in yourself first. Wow. Okay. Before we conclude, I want to know, since you are married, Mm -hmm. I'm going to get personal here. Does okay. Your think, hmm, she's using the CIA shit on me. Or, or what is, I would think it'd be difficult and problematic to be in a relationship with someone who has all these techniques and knows us how to profile. Oh, and did you use your profiling skills when you were dating him to go, yeah, this is the right guy? Or was it just like a heartfelt or both? See, I told you. Fair, fair question. Fair question. You know, I, and I love this question. That there, we we could be here for hours, but I our, our listeners you. don't have time I, for that. <laughs> I don't either. But I told you in the in the pre-interview that this would be different. So, so no. So first of all, um, I'm profiling people, reading people. It's not something I was trained for. It was something I was hired for. Okay. All right. Um, and it. so it's it's something that's inherent. Frankly, part of my hidden power. It's part of my part of my gift and part of my talent. So it was interesting when I first met him. I'm like, hmm, hmm. This is interesting. But what was especially interesting was when I met my husband, it was not, first of all, we went immediately from being strangers to life partners. We never dated. It was, it was like an immediate sort of thing. Wow. Um, even though it did take us another 15 years to actually get married. But, but in that, <laughs> in that, in that space, we were fully committed life partners. But here's the weird thing. When I met him, it wasn't one of those rainbows and unicorns and fireworks kind of thing. It was more like 
more like when you lost somebody in the grocery store, you know, it's got, oh, there you are. Where have you been? Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) I mean, it was, uh, yeah, it's just one of those things that was clearly meant to be. And we kind of knew it when it happened. (laughs) So he doesn't have any problems with it because he he feels the same way. Well, it is, I I do have to say, when we met, I was still undercover and we had been together for two and a half years before I broke cover with him. So, so you had, what did you tell him you did? I told him that I was a diplomat working for the Department of State and spent most of my time over space. I have to ask, see, I'm nosy. So what was his response when you broke cover? And what, we'll back up, protocol. Did you have to ask your bosses for permission to break cover? Uh, no. Since he was a U.S. citizen, I I was granted the, uh, you know, personal responsibility. And, rec- you know, we're, we're allowed to make those decisions for ourselves. Um, so I did not have to get permission. I did quietly do my due diligence before I internally committed myself to him. Um, <laughs> in other words, you you looked in, up his ass. You looked up his ass. <laughs> I I get it. Uh, hey. You know, it's there's some there's some parts of the career that are not all that sexy and all that nice. That's um, fine. It is what it is. Believe me, I've had some psychotic partners that I've been able to do the profiling. It would have saved me a lot of grief and. Therapy. <laughs> This is what we have to ask about the most important thing in your life, which is your spoiled cat, because spoiled and cat is redundant. I have two kitty cats. Uh, how long has your kitty been in your life? And what's your kitty say? This particular kitty has been in my life for what year is this? So I guess she's been with us about three, four years now, four years now. Her name is Phoenix. And we named her Phoenix because we were living in Phoenix, Arizona. And my husband took the trash out to the curb one night. And as he's coming back, he starts pecking on the kitchen window. I'm like, what? What are you doing? And he's pointing down. I'm like, what? So I went over, opened the sliding glass door, and she pranced herself in the house and never Uh left. (laughs) <laughs> that was three weeks before we moved from Phoenix to the Florida Keys. Got it. <laughs> I've loved this interview. This has been so much fun. I know it's been eye-opening for the audience. Obviously, you've got some ways that people can continue in the conversation with you without you secretly recording it. <laughs> so if if our listeners, as our listeners and viewers, want to stay in the conversation with you, I need to move this a little bit so I'm not so much a talking head. Uh, <laughs> if they want to stay in the conversation with you, how do they do that? So there are a couple of ways that you can do that. The first and simplest way, I have a free Facebook group where we talk about this whole inner game of success. And you can find me there on Facebook. It's called Inner Game Success Circle. You can find me there. And if you're really ready to take this step This one bigger step, I have a free three-part mini course. It's called CIA Spy Secrets to Making Goals Work for You. And it will help you unpack exactly 
what is slowing you down or bogging you down as you're going for that bigger dream. And you can find that at MarthaAWilson.com forward slash edge, as in influencers edge. Love that. And we're going to put those links, of course, in the show notes. And we're going to conclude this, but stay on because uh, I'm going to tell you about my close encounters and you're going to tell me exactly uh, what that was. So Martha, thank you for being on the Influencer's Edge. We will see and or if you're not watching, we will see here all y'all on all y'all. I heard a little Southern accent in you too. Yep. We, we will catch you all next time on the Influencer's Edge. Thanks now. The Influencer's Edge is brought to you by the Invisible Influence Series. If you're ready to massively increase your sales by leveraging the power of subconscious persuasion, then make sure you text the word COMPEL to 411-321. That's COMPEL to 411-321. And if you're outside of the United States, then use WhatsApp and text the word COMPEL to 1. 909-741-1321. Make sure you put in your best email address because that's how we'll deliver the goodies. Thank you for tuning in to the Influencer's Edge, where you get the latest breakthroughs, cutting-edge insights, tools, and techniques so you can leapfrog over the pack at sales, influence, and persuasion. Remember to visit our website at www.theinfluencersedge.com to enjoy even more great episodes like this one. We look forward to seeing you again on The Influencers Edge Show.